a legendary voice in Southern radio history, still has plenty to say. My name is Herb White, and this is In Other Words. Chatty Hattie Leeper has plenty to say. The legendary Charlotte broadcaster is still sought after for her perspective on when black radio was at its zenith. In April, the Library of Congress brought Lever and other groundbreaking women of color to Washington as part of its Black Women in Radio Historic Collection and Oral History Project. And of course, living up to her nickname, Lever had plenty to talk about in Washington, St. Louis, and other places where even decades after she signed off from radio for the last time. She's still being lauded for her career as a groundbreaker during a time in radio when women weren't heard or seen very often. I had a chance to sit down with Leeper, who is working on her ninth decade on the planet about her career, the state of radio right now, and the best entertainer she ever saw. It's a great conversation, and here it is. Obviously, you're very busy these days. Still, at you know, at this stage in your life, uh, halls of fame, <laughs> the Library of Congress, all the other things that are in between there. Uh, talk about still being on the go and still being sought out by other. Uh, folks and organizations. Well, it's amazing how the word of mouth gets spreaded. You don't go out looking for, you know, publicity or do you know who I am? You know, it's none of that. It's always a referral. You know, somebody will say, maybe just take, for example, South Carolina. They may say, have you ever met that lady that talks a lot that on the microphone that lives in Charlotte? You know, and they say, what was her name? And then they'll say, oh, yes, I, um, Chatty Eddie. And they say, that's it. Do you know how I might get in touch with her? Her number's not in the phone book. And you better not put it in the phone book. You will not get any sleep <laughs> because everybody will be calling you from the fish house, you know. And, uh, you know, the fish house, liquor house, you know. <laughs> They would get there over in the morning. They would call you and say, you hear this song? Bobby Blue Bland, they call it a stormy Monday. A Tuesday is just as bad. You know that song? They'll say, tell these people, Miss Chatham, who's singing that song? And they out partying at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, so you can't have your phone listed at all. You won't get sleep because everybody wants you to back up what they're saying like they know so much about R&D. They know I'm the person that could be the mouthpiece on that. Yeah. yeah. So you, uh, with the uh, with the Library of Congress, again, uh, with bringing together women of color who have made these huge contributions, you know, it's good to be remembered, even after your last radio job. <laughs> Absolutely, because it's in your blood. You don't ever get it out. If you're sincere and if you like what you're doing, and you didn't feel that it was tiring, it wasn't a work. It was a fabulous thing to say, I'm on my way to WGIV, 1600 at the top of the dial. 
where listening is always worthwhile. You know, you, you get off on stuff like, and every time you hit the highway, something new will come to you. It, and it's, it's just a part of your career. It's just a part of how you feel good about making somebody else happy on their birthday. Happy birthday song coming up for Earl and for Mabel or whomever, you know. It's their birthday. It's their anniversary. And I'm playing this. I'm dedicating this song to you. That was the joy of my life is making other people happy on their day. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about that connectivity with radio back in those days, uh, you know, you can make the argument that, you know, there isn't as much of it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, what do you see as the biggest difference in radio between the 50s when you got started and today? I see a lot of dedication when we matriculated. You know, it was a, it was a real, real treat to get on that microphone and make somebody happy. You just didn't feel like I see happening so much today. I'm not going to knock today's times because this is what they are enjoying. We've had our kicks, you know. So it doesn't bother me that much. But one thing does irritate me. If I'm riding in my car and have the radio on and a DJ on there now would say, Oh, you better wear a raincoat today. You better take your umbrella today. It's going to rain. And they just die laughing. And why would they lie like that? The meteorologist says it's going to be sunshiny all day today, you know. But they will say that, well, people are used to us being sincere and telling the truth. We don't tell you to go take your umbrella everywhere you go today if it's not going to rain. We're not going to get on there and say that. And that things like that kind of hurt me, you know, to hear the today's youth saying that. And senior citizens at home listening, they think that's the truth. Because they had been used to hearing the truth from the airways when we came along. But now it's fun for them to do something extraordinary wrong and they just die laughing about it. So if you hear something come out of their mouth and they die laughing afterwards, you know, like the kind of Steve Harvey laughing, <laughs> you, you, you just say, mm, I would not have said that that way. Or I would not have done that that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we made our own commercials. When today everything is push button, you know, but we made our own. We did not have all of the modern technology they have today. Now I regret that that we didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you talk about those those personalities, and I know music and the industry, with along with radio, was totally different than it is now because, like you said, there's technology that's mm-hmm. involved and it's and it's involved and. It, there's so much of it now, but when you talk about those figures uh, that you have talked about, the Barry Gordys, mm-hmm. the Sam Cooks, you know those types of people that you met, mm-hmm. Diana Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the best part of getting out and meeting those types of people? You know because it, you were a star in your own right, and they were obviously stars in their own right. Mm-hmm. You know, in those conversations, what did you guys talk about? Well, let me tell you this. I love you asking me that question. Segregation was real rampant during that era. No fine hotels. They could not check in downtown at the hotels. They would come to Charlotte. You would know their schedule because we would advertise on the air. We'll be at the Coliseum at blah, blah, blah time. 
One of the families called us in. The auditorium was the Grady Cole Center on uh, 7th Street right behind uh, Central Piedmont. That was the auditorium during those eras. And when they would come, they would come in on a raggedy bus, and they would come to Chatty Hattie's house first. My mother would have soul food cooked. They could come in, wash their hands, and my mother would feed them till they dropped. Pinto beans, and you know, they had been on the road coming all the way from Canada, New York, everywhere, and they tired, and they would take a nap on the bus, and I would let the sisters, you know, the girls like Tina Turner, Mary Wells, Gladys Knight, Laverne Baker, just name them, they would come in the house, and they would just act like this, their house, they take over. Because they were used to coming and they knew that this was home to them, away from home. They loved the idea of coming to Charlotte. And we would bring them to Charlotte. We were the, the sponsors of the show. So we knew their schedule. And they would come in. And my husband, Charles Leeper, had his own barbershop on 2nd Street. And he would process all of the male's hair. You know, back then they would wear waves in the hair. And they'd go to his shop and he would fix them up, hook them up so pretty. Jackie Wilson's hair was so pretty. Sam Cooke. And all of the gospel singers, too. I didn't just cater to the rhythm and blues. The gospel singers, Dixie Hummingbird, Swan Silvertone singers, Staples singers. Just name them all. Where Chatty laid her hat was their home. And they would come here for food. Not this house, per se, but where we were living during that time. And I enjoyed that. That was my enjoyment, is knowing that they are coming to town. And the private time that we'd have together discussing fashions, you know, what you're going to wear on stage tonight. Uh, did I wear that blue dress when I was here last time, Chatty? Now, I'm supposed to remember that. And I'd say, I don't think so, Dion Warwick. Mm -hmm. We wore the same size. I'd say, look in my closet and see if you want to take one of my dresses to the stage. And But I had to stop doing that because they would always rush off the stage, you know, and keep stepping with my dresses. So I, I had to stop that. <laughs> but we've had so much fun together. It was just home, away from home for them. They would get a soul meal, and they would all tell everybody, you been by chats? Call me chat. You been by chats yet? And yeah, man, I've been over there. I'm about to pop, too. You know, so those were the enjoys that we had and shared. I don't think today's group do much of that. I've never heard of that. Yeah. yeah. And so, in a way, even though segregation, nobody would want to go back to that era. But I guess, in especially in the South, you had to stick together when it came to the industry and performing and being on radio and bringing people together. Sure. Yeah. Sure. One of the evil parts about it, though, was at intermission time at the auditorium at Grady Cole Center, they had uh, curtains they would draw, you know, for intermission. And they would change clothes and get ready for the second half of the show. And almost every time, the singers that had these jealous men for husbands would fight them, would hit these girls. And I happened to see a couple of us going down, and oh my God, I had a fit. And I always had to rent extra police and fire, you know, for safety. And I would call them in and tell them, when you're in Charlotte, you're going to hit Tina Turner. When you're in Charlotte, you're not going to hit Aretha Franklin. 
and I didn't know anything about it. At my show, and I brought them to town, and they got to perform, and you were back here hitting them in the eye and everything. Oh, no, I'm not tolerating that. And I would tell Herman, that was Mary Wells' husband, I would tell him quickly, you can't go backstage because you showed out the last time you were in Charlotte, and I almost had you arrested. So don't don't play me. You know you had to be a businesswoman. You had to talk up for your city. Charlotte was known as the Queen City, the clean city. You don't come here and fight your woman. What's wrong with you? So I've been through a lot behind the curtains. And James Brown, the Godfather of Soul. Oh my God, it was such a joy to work with him. He was so much fun. And when they have the intermission, you know, he'd have my husband to touch up his hair a little bit because he had been all down, you know, on the floor sweating it away during the first <laughs> session. And he wanted to go back out looking good. All of that was so much fun. And, of course, you know, the money was good, too. That was a lot of fun. But that never hurts. Yeah, that never hurts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but now, bringing up all those names brings me to a question. And I'm just dying to hear your answer. Who is the greatest entertainer you ever saw? That's a tie. That's a real tie. The ones that did extraordinary things, I think, it would possibly be three or four that would be my favorites in the R&B as well as in the gospel. The uh, things that were so fascinating to me about them being so great. Take, for example, Gene uh, Chandler. Hey, Duke of Earl. And he would come out with his little cowboy shaped hat and a stick, you know, the Duke, Duke, Duke of Earl across the stage. And all of them could dance. The choreography that he could do with the Motown acts was phenomenal. Those four tops and those temptations, when one turned this way, all of them turned. And then they had on white gloves, you know. Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five, that was one of their trademarks to have on one white glove. And they would do all of the beautiful twists and turns and mimicking. Those things would make you just applaud. You stand up. You couldn't sit down. You just have to stand up to pack. Oh, yeah. It, it was just amazing. All of them were great in my book. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the best of them all was? <sighs> I think, in a way, I'd have to give it to Michael, Michael Jackson. Because he acted like I was his memo behind the stage. He he loved lollipops, you know, on a stick, you know, candy. And if I was sitting down, I better not be sitting around waiting on them, you know, to come out and talking to them and letting them share my makeup, the girls, you know, and all. He'd come and jump up on my lap with, and with a, a, a candy stick, you know, in his mouth. And he loved me patting on his little shoulder. They didn't get much mother attention, you know, as children. Apparently, because they were starved out for you to hug one of them and say, you were great. It wasn't like today. You hug somebody now, they're saying, that's sexual harassment. You mean you touched that kid chatting in your class? You know, they made an A. You got to encourage them. You got to be there for them. But uh, it's just so many changes now. But I think I'd have to give it to little Michael because he was just a little old boy. Mm-hmm. And he was just starved out for mother love. He'd jump up on your lap. You better watch because you'd fall out the chair. He'd hit you so hard. And he'd just hold on to you. And, and he wants you to just pat him. And then he'd go back out on that stage and tear it up. Oh, my goodness, those kids had so much energy. 
Yeah. They do a lot of that now, but it's just hopping. Hip hop, hip hop, hip hop. But this was formation, you know, it was floating, you know, their, their dance steps and their moves. It was just phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. Michael Jackson over James Brown. That's good. Now, that's, that's <laughs> a different category because James would be number one naturally as an adult, you know, but on the youth side, giving the kids, you know, number one, I guess it would be Michael and the, the Miracles. Okay. But James, now, you know, he, he was extraordinary, you know. I mean, he was the godfather, so. Oh, yeah. yeah, he would be hard to beat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you know when you talked earlier about women and the Library of Congress, the trip you made recently to Washington uh, for the library, uh, it honored the contributions of women of color in mm-hmm. radio. Mm-hmm. It from the sound of it, you were empowering women way before it became popular in your industry. Talk a little bit about that because you got started in radio when you were 14 and you were the only woman who was at WGIV in their stable of of DJs. Mm -hmm. Uh, You obviously have seen, done and heard a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but talk about the part of empowerment where even as as a young person, you had to figure out how to empower yourself and then do it for others as as you matured and moved along. Right, right. And you know, it's amazing how much I knew at that age what to do behind the scenes that helped me to be able to move into greater heights at the station. It's amazing because I had no one else to learn from. It was nothing like that going on out there, you know? But what I did, I made myself accessible, is the word. I would do things. You see how it all came about, too. Let me tell you this. Then you call it doing work study at school. You would get a letter grade for the job that you worked on. And now they don't say work study. They say internship. That's the word now. So I was doing an internship with work study, they called it back then. And I would get a grade for volunteering my skills that I had to learn myself the skills I had no one to learn it from. So I just decided I would make myself accessible. When the phone rang, I'd pick it up and say, good afternoon, this is WGI. I became the office girl on the phone. Not in the business part where all of the paperwork was going on. I didn't bother with that because I wasn't no paperwork girl. I want that microphone. Oh, I had to have that microphone. Oh, give me a mic and I'd go crazy. And I... I would also have the AP machine ready and running. I did that. That meant that we didn't have what we have now, meteorologists, a skill to give you the weather and the news, you know. We didn't have any of that. We had to do it ourselves. And I learned to do that, and I would sit and think, what would be valuable to the announcer? What would be helpful to that announcer? How would Jean Eugene like it if I had people writing in, requesting a song to be played on such and such a date. It was their grandmother's birthday. She'd be 100 years old or whatever. I would take rubber bands and I'd put all the dedications for songs to be played on such and such a date. And I'd put them all together for people that uh, just wanted to request a song, just because they liked it, you know. And I, I just started 
scheduling stuff. And then I got some paste load boxes. And because we didn't have shelves, you know, we just had a little old tiny villain, you know. So I would just go on and, and uh, name what's in this box, write it, you know, with a magic marker on all the boxes, the type of uh, request. And we would get lots of mail from everywhere, all around Monroe, everywhere, just close by and far away. And I would just do all of that to help the DJ so they could, you know, know what song they wanted to play. I would have those ready. We had turntables, you know, didn't have all of the push buttons for things to come up. You have a big old needle to put on the turntable on this side of you and on this side of you. And I would go on and have the needles ready. All I had to do was just click on them. And the record would be there with the needle already on it to have precision time and no waste of air time, you know. And I started getting skillful at that. Then the next thing I know, they started bringing albums out, you know, the big RPM albums. And they are real delicate to chip or if anybody got heat around it or cigarette or something, it puckles. So after the era of albums passed, then I started with the 45 RPMs, you know, the little, they were more durable. And I would schedule all of those and I'd put instrumental, meant all music, no singing. I'd label every box with everything. And those DJs were so proud of me when I wouldn't show up that day from school. They would say, where that little girl? You know, I miss her. And I, they would just be so worried. What happened? But maybe I had gotten in trouble at school for something and I had to stay after school. You know, they punish you back then. And all I did was just, you know, maybe talk a little bit to somebody too loud and the teacher walked in and I was talking. Because I loved to talk. I couldn't help it. So, so things like that occurred. But I certainly did enjoy my tenure. I never would have, never would have left. But the station got sold after the owner passed away. And that's how it all came tumbling down. Yes. Yeah. Do you, when you look back at it, you and you talked about uh, when the station was sold, you know, could you do radio now? I do it to death everywhere I go and see a microphone. I think that's why I go to so many churches. I get to get on a microphone because <laughs> I stop a microphone because I love to talk to the masses of people. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I really do. Yeah. Uh, do you anticipate still staying on the road and soaking up all these honors? Because obviously, a lot of people think a lot of a lot of your contributions. They think of a lot of you as a person, both here in Charlotte and across the country, because mm -hmm. you're going off to places like St. Louis and Washington, halls of fame inductions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Library of Congress, you even spent some time at the White House. Oh, you know, yes. It must be good to be Chatty Hattie. Well, it is because I get to meet a lot of people and everybody I meet, they say, I've heard of you. You know, they'll say, oh my God, you Chatty Hattie? Oh, I thought you were deceased. And you go, oh my God, give me a hug. <laughs> I want to say, what would you think? Because I'm not on the air, I'm dead, you know. But you'd be surprised how many people think that. They'll say, oh my God, I didn't know she was still around. And that's why it's so necessary, I think, is to keep in touch with the Charlotte Post because you are my baby. You all can keep me alive. <laughs> that's what we're here for. <laughs> 
but uh, I think that it's you know when you talk about those legends and the people who paved the way for all that is now. You know, when you talk about you know people who say, "Oh, you're still alive," you know, it you have a legacy. And when you think about legacy, legacies don't die. They get, you know, they, they may kind of fall off the radar for a little bit, but it's there for anybody who's looking to see who has done these things. And uh, when you're talking about 14 years old and going on to a legendary radio broadcasting career, you know, that's a legacy. So you know, stuff like that doesn't go away. It doesn't wash off. It's history. It is history, yeah. I know they have a marquee on Betis Ford Road right across from Bank of America at the fish market. They have that whole wall of uh, trailblazers is what they call it. And it's people on that uh, marquee. And I would love for you if you had time to run by and just see it. You know, just drive through and just look at it. And it is, it's a beautiful mural. And they have... Five people, I think it is. Let's see, we've got Bertha Robinson, they've got Sarah Stevenson, they've got Julius Chambers, they've got Harvey Gantt, they've got uh, Chatty Hattie, they've got, let's see, how many is that? Five. That was five. That's five. Mm -hmm. I hope I did. Oh, yeah, and Attorney uh, Ferguson. It's six of them. Okay. Six of them. And I want you to see that marquee. And that brings tears of joy to my soul to see that. And to let little kids know that there are people who, behind the scenes, have made it possible for you to have what you have at school today. Free lunches and all of that. I was in on all of these things, you know, to get it better for our youth today so they'll stay in school. But how it got out of hand to go into boom, boom, shooting now, I, I don't understand that. But, but we were the ones behind the scenes that really helped education to get lifted higher. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, this is great stuff, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today oh, and everything. It. And so, you know, it's good to be Chatty Hattie. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Yes, I do. I do. Thank you for listening to Another Words. You can check us out at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and on our website, thecharlottepost.com. And while you're there at thecharlottepost.com, check out our other reporting on news, sports, lifestyles, arts and entertainment. It's all there. It's all free. But producing that type of journalism isn't free. And so we encourage you to drop a donation, become a subscriber, or find some of the ways to support our mission of lifting and informing our community. For everybody back at the Charlotte Post, I'm Herb White. Thanks for listening.